On today's 100 Proof Live, we've got Sam's Market Overview. We've got Disney and Dapper with the most dapper gentlemen in Web3. We've got the Liquid Delegate Marketplace. And uh, we've got special guest Annika Meyer. This is 100 Proof. Let's go. Everyone, we I'm, got Sam in the house. We got Sam in the house. What's oh, going on? Derek's guys? back too. I'm back. We got Sam, NFT stats, proofs head of research, Derek, Clab currency, all the things you do over there, posters and shit, and, and your Marfa. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I am back. We are back. This is great. Uh, everything so is. It's awesome so to be here live. Oh, we got I Eli too. Let's we not got Eli. Eli. Eli's out there somewhere. We don't have to worry about there that. There he is. Let's, let's go. go. GM, sir. GM, let's go. Got his I, kitchen. Back I love there. Eli's little background back there. I know. He's it's got like, such a nice we, little kitchen. We're just hanging out at home at the pad. <laughs> love yeah, it. Let's go. Come on over. <laughs> Come on over. Um, sweet. Uh, we have got a pretty packed show. Lots of stuff to get into. Um, Amanda, how are you doing? I'm doing good. It's nice to have you guys all back here and to have Sam, you know, here in the flesh. I could almost touch him. It's so good. You're, How you're you doing, like dude? Feet away. <laughs> it is good to have Sam here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah, it is. It's a to, it's a totally different vibe being live. I'm not it's used to totally seeing you without the Dower Darcells and the, uh, I the mean, pink hair. I mean, I wish I could carry a Dower Darcel with me just so everyone gets that. You know, but can't have everything. Right? It's true. You know, we, it has been. Um, we've all been traveling. You're back. It's been a busy kind of fall. It has been um, busy. I am going to actually have to leave like just like five minutes early uh, to catch a flight. Classic Cairo. Um, no, it's it's like, there's a lot going on. We've got so, we've had so many drops. Yes. We've got Grails coming up as well. Yes. Um, multiple drops before the end of the year. Like yes. we have not slowed down. So we're running in all directions. But uh, yeah, appreciate everyone for joining us today. Um, Wait. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I see a comment that says, uh, is Kara rocking those Tiffany AF1s? I think we need a they little are. shoe check. Whoa. We that need a little shoe, shoe check. check. These are the Tiffany's uh, Air Force Ones. Nice. Dang. And we got, uh, what, Derek's got some PF Flyers. PF, PF Flyers. And then we got some Keeping it classic. We got some classics from Sam, too. <laughs> The Tigers classic are great. Instance. All I wear is the Tigers, but I, I'm very simple compared to you guys. Dude, I love the Tigers. When I was in, in Japan, like they're big out there and there's oh, some yeah. big stores out there and they are the awesome shoe. Yeah. So sure. I got to pick up a pair of those. All right, carry on. All right. Um, so later in the show, obviously Eli's uh, interview is going to be great. We're going to talk about um, the collection uh, from Herbert uh, Frank. I always mess up Frank's last. Or Franke. Herbert Franke. Franke. Franke is the, the right way to say it. Is it Franke or that is the correct way, right? Yeah, okay. Feels right. All right. So very excited to chat about uh, that drop. Um, Eli, tell us a little bit about, a bit about the uh, exhibition at the Foundry. Yeah, 100%. So uh, I'm getting a ton of feedback when you guys talk, but I, I, I heard most of that. Uh, so a couple of things. Uh, yeah, we have this upcoming release with Annika Meyer, uh, the foundation of Herbert. W. Franke uh, and Aaron Penne helping sort of translate that original code from 1982 that Herbert created with a Apple II uh, computer. Really a fascinating collection, 200 pieces that are releasing on November 21st. So we're showing that collection called Zentrum at the foundry at the moment where, where you guys are. Um, it's beautifully installed. It's a really interesting collection. It's continuously animated each 
of those 200 outputs. And then as you guys mentioned, Annika Meyer, who's representing Expanded Art and is very close with the foundation, is gonna join us later during this, this uh, call to go a little deeper on that collection, her relationship with Herbert and Herbert's wife, Suzanne. Uh, so couldn't be more excited. This is a really special one. Herbert, Herbert is like the computer generative art pioneer in many ways. We had a wonderful discussion yesterday on Spaces with some folks who were talking about his significance. So can't wait to dig in. Yeah, I was actually, um, this morning I got here a little bit early to the studio and, and CT who pr produced the show uh, was here early and she goes, you don't understand. I watched the video of this Herbert drop and it is mm. legit. She's like, this is, and when she gets excited about stuff, I pay attention. Mm. She's always really good at finding those little nuggets and early stuff. So I have a feeling this is going to be a really special one. Um, would you agree with that, Eli? Like it, it, I've heard it's like, it, it's just a really beautiful story. It, it is. Yeah. And, and Herbert's released one NFT collection to date. That was math art with quantum, maybe in late 2022, I want to say. And the collector base of that uh, hundred piece collection is, it doesn't get any better really. I think Flamingo probably has we a handful also. of those because they are historically significant. You know, Herbert's place in this world, I think over time will only become more solidified as everything that's happening now ultimately tracks back to the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s when he was creating his work in those early days. So it's very special. Eli, you've been really busy. I know there was a recent drop um, we did that sold out in 25 seconds. Do you want to tell us about that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I think the thing I would highlight here is, uh, you know, uh, Helena Saren's one of, again, these, these really real OGs in terms of using computers as a collaborator. And so her release with us on Wednesday really focused on her AI work in conversation with these ceramics. And Kevin, I know you love ceramics and craft. And yeah, it was the ceramic so mugs are beautiful. Do we have any beautiful. pictures of those mugs actually? Cause they are just absolutely stunning. Yeah. If we can get a yes, zoomed in a one. Image. There's, a, there's another one that's zoomed in on one of the mugs. I don't know if we can find it, but they are just, I, I really want one of the mugs. So how, how does someone get an actual mug if they yeah. have one of these NFTs? How does that work? Oh, that's a, that's a cool image there. Uh, yeah, so the way that it works is each of the NFTs correlates with a either mug or a tumbler or, or sort of like a little whiskey um, vessel. And uh, redemption for those physicals opens next week. So if you have one of the NFTs, you can show up, you can redeem that specific token for one of these physicals. And uh, it's pretty fascinating. I mean, Helena crafted these, she painted them, she fired them in her studio. She's going to be the one distributing them. So, um, you know, I love being able to bring together something like AI, which is wholly technical and digital with this ancient craft and uh, put those in conversation with one another. And her thing, I just, just to quickly say is like, these are not sculptures to her. These are vessels meant for augmenting your experience with coffee or bourbon, or she even said tequila is okay. So I just love that these can be lived with in a really fun way. Yeah. This has been like physical fall. Like we've seen this, 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 mm, this fall yeah. has been all about like linking digital collectibles with physicals, you know, uh, Sam, 100%. what's been going on, uh, for you this weekend NFTs? I mean, what have you been tracking? Let's go. I mean, uh, 
there's a whole lot going on. A lot of very cool and interesting art sales uh, that really have just kind of happened over the past couple of days. But I'll give a quick overview of the market uh, as I've done you know, for a few weeks in a row now. Uh, you know, We had five weeks in a row where volumes were rising and it really kind of capped off with Gordon Garner's buying spree last year and all kind of the, the, the other buys that went along with that. This past week was down. So we were down about 30% in terms of volumes uh, versus the, the week before. This year looks at unique buy wallets. And I think this is just kind of an interesting chart because as everything has fluctuated, like buy wallets really hasn't moved. And, and I think that's something that a lot of people say when we get these rallies, people are waiting for more buy wallets to be participating in the space. Even so, you know, there are 25,000 unique wallets buying ETH NFTs every week on secondary exchanges. So it's not nothing, but I think that is something that a lot of people, a signal people are looking for uh, to get more positive prices down a little bit. I think that the, the Gordon Garner rally really pushed things, you know, the Simpsons. It was so Gordon awesome Garner. he did that. Yeah, I, I just love that he like stepped up and bought a bunch of great art. It's yeah, fantastic. there was such a halo effect for the whole marketplace around that. And I think we, we've come off a little bit from that. Uh, if you look at the different projects, uh, which are, oh, here, sorry, here, here's mid cap. So the smaller stuff down, you know, went up a little bit more, down a little bit more this past week. Uh, this looks at, at the different projects. Captains is up. You know, I think, you know, the, the meme coin has just completely kind of defied gravity up to about a $2.5 billion fully diluted valuation. And then a lot of the projects that kind of really rocketed last week, like Cool Cats, Doodles, Gutter Cats, you know, have, have given some of that back. Uh, in terms of art sales, a couple big Fidenza sales. So we went from very few Fidenza sales in October. I think there've been four or five in November. Uh, a chromy squiggle, beautiful six color spread That's sold for 16 one. ETH. Uh, Danny Seafrae has bought a Meridian, a yellow and black Meridian for 10 ETH. And then a protoglyph uh, sold uh, just in the past 12 hours for 10 ETH. So those are a few of the cooler generative Ooh. art sales. Um, yeah, here, you know, we've already talked about this project uh, by Helena Saren, so I just wanted to highlight that. The next slide looks actually at the traits there it is. for the mugs. Yeah, there it so is. The mugs. So even the mugs have rarity from like the Aztec mug to the whiskey cup, uh, et cetera. But you know, I think that that's congrats to Eli. Uh, you know, having it all sell out so quickly is just so awesome. Um, Another theme this week was Starry Night selling NFTs uh, start to holders and you know some of it unknown, some of it known. Prices tended to be unknown, but Curated bought one of these Prime Meridians, that one on the far left, the blue one from mm. the Starry Night portfolio. That's wow, beautiful. These are so cool. There are only eight of them, uh, and it's it's just this very rare Meridian. That one on the right is owned by six five two nine, and that was bought for two hundred ETH. Wow. Uh, the blue one that Curated bought was bought by Starry Night for eighty ETH. So for Meridians, these are serious prices. And the middle one is another one. You know, Curated now owns a quarter of them, owns two of the eight. So that was a cool sale to see. Do you, do you own any Meridians? Um, I do have some Meridians. I like this collection. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I don't know how many I have, but I probably have 20 to 30 if I had to guess. <laughs> what do you want me to say? Yeah. I, I love it. It's a great collection. I, the thing that I think is most notable about it is that this was actually not an Artblocks curated collection. Yeah. yeah. And the values mm. of it are right up there with some of the top Artblocks curated collections. It, it's got a, a ton of staying power. It actually wasn't uh, curated because Subscapes, you know, you had to wait a year and Subscapes exactly. had just gone and Meridian has True surpassed view. Subscapes, which is also great generative art. But it is interesting that Meridian recently has surpassed Subscapes in terms of floor price. And uh, yeah, that next slide, wanted to talk about it because I do think for the culture, the rocks are interesting. Uh, you know, one, a Bitcoin rock selling wow. for 110,000 ETH, uh, you know, later in the day, an ETH Ether Rock sold for a hundred ETH, uh, two hundred nine thousand dollars. So always interesting when I think these are just like the classic meme NFTs. So when they move for six figures, 
You got to mention it. So what's the deal with, I've I've heard a little bit about these Doge Rocks. (laughs) Yeah. So Doge Rocks Shout out to, by the way, shout out to Dalton, who's in the crowd. Uh, He never, he's never in the comments. is the whale of the Doge Rocks. Yeah. I mean, Dalton, I I love Dalton. If you're watching, we love you. I miss you. Can't wait to hang again. Uh, But Dalton picked up a a Doge Rock, right? So so Doge has, it's obviously like Bitcoin because it's based on the same uh, infrastructure as Bitcoin. It can also have its own version of NFTs baked into the blockchain, it has rocks as well. Yes. Yeah. I, everything you said is true. I like, from my understanding with Dalton though, and, and I talked to Dalton, to Word Eddie uh, a, a fair bit, um, it, it's still pretty primitive though. Like it's, you yeah. know, you have to interact with people on Discord to get trades done. It's not like you don't have uh, a blur marketplace where you can go buy them. So it's, it's a bit more primitive, but you What know. is a rock going for? Well, uh, on the, on, on, not that these are the Bitcoin rocks, but what, what the Doge, the Doge rocks. Yeah, I, I think like a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars. All right. So okay. I have a serious question for you. Is the Doge rock a bridge too far? It, like a hundred percent. No, it's a bridge to Doge rock. Kevin's excited because we, you must have like a million trillion Doge, right? Because you were the original Doge. I used Doge to have King. a lot of Doge, but I don't have any more Doge. Oh, I, I, I thought you were just Doge. like looking for ways to no, spend your Doge. I'm not pumping Doge. I would like to, you know, I think that this is interesting. Like a Doge, if you're going to have a chain that's all about meme related NFTs, why shouldn't it there. be Doge? You got to get the rocks on there. Yeah, I, get actually, the rocks on there. Yeah. And that, that was what I said to Dalton. I said, look, like some of the stuff is kind of meant to be stupid, meant to be silly. I'll use the word silly because I don't tell my, I tell my kids not to say stupid. It's meant to be silly. <laughs> Doge is meant to be silly. Rocks are meant to be silly. And, and sometimes that does really, really well, as you can see by these six figure sales. So who knows? Interesting stuff. I'll get through the, the, the last couple slides here. Uh, this piece, ETH Boy uh, by Trevor Jones uh, and Money Alada just sold for 200 ETH. Uh, this was an NFT minted over three years ago. Or, yeah, over three years ago. It was sold three years ago for 260 ETH. So it is down from that price in wow. ETH terms. But in US dollar terms, it's actually up because ETH was only $500. It's, uh, yeah, it's a, you know, the, the art changes with the price of ETH, kind of one of those 2020 vintage pieces and, and, and really huge. I mean, the 200 ETH in this market is just massive. And then lastly, uh, this is kind of going back to that Starry Night theme, a portfolio of a handful of NFTs were sold for an unknown price to an unknown buyer. But in this, Greatest I think in here. so many of these were originally bought by Starry Night for 200 to 500 ETH, a few X copies, a few Dimitri Cherniaks, a couple Grail Fidenzas. Uh, so you have to, you know, the, the for people who I, I think have a three, who've been around two to five years, these are some of the biggest sales that have happened before and they got bucketed and sold uh, from the start. Let me ask you a question about this, Sam. I mean, uh, clearly not a ton of new wallets coming in, but a ton of activity at the top end of this market. What is this saying to you? I would, I, I, I say a few things. I, 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 I agree and I disagree. I, 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 think, I think the number of wallets of participants in the crypto ecosystem who have just kind of like bailed on NFTs a little bit have been coming back. You know, and there have been NFTs where I've not been... I've not been shy about my view that kind of like the fundamentals of uh, of the of Blur and stuff weren't really friendly to NFTs. And I sold a bunch a few months ago that I'm like now like, oh, maybe now is a good time to, to think about buying again. So I think there are a lot of people like me who are coming back. The high end, I'd say, has always been there. I don't think mm-hmm. it really left as much. Uh, if you look at you know, one of the crazy, like I, I was saying this on, on a show yesterday with, with proof holders. In, when I was doing my show in early January, I wouldn't talk about one of ones that sold for less than 10 ETH. There was just enough stuff happening just at the beginning of the year at 10 ETH or higher in the one of one space that, that those were the, the sales I covered. Right now we're going weeks without anything above six ETH. Uh, so I would say like the one of one space has been slow, but yeah. I think you, know, you, 
I, I'd say the, the biggest buyers, though, never left and they're still around. And when opportunities pre- present themselves and we don't know the prices these went for, like, I think that buyer, you know, it, it was in the depth of the bear that the goose went for, that the goose went for yep. six million plus, you know? So, uh, yeah, uh, some thoughts on cool. that. Cool. Good thoughts. All right, Amanda, let's check in with the audience real quick. Any questions or comments from the audience that uh, you'd like to highlight? Um, just hi, Dalton. Nice to see you again. He's so excited because they just, oh, he, he says ro- that the Doge rocks. rocks minted out a week ago. Now they're $1,300. We out here. Um, and uh, shout out to uh, EBMD, who also mentioned uh, Pinder's Mint. That was pretty big news. Um, yeah. And you highlighted uh, EM- EBMD, the uh, interesting thing about the super rare, uh, I don't know, incentive to encourage more sales on their platform. I don't know, it was an interesting one, but uh, I wanted to also kind of highlight that one. That was also a pretty big mint. It was like 128 mints at one ETH each. So congrats to you, Pindar. That was wild. I mean, he, he put an incentive structure in where any sale that happened above the mint price and on super rare, so it enforced royalties, enforced platform fee, any sale that happened, the buyer and the seller would receive a signed print from Pindar of that piece, up to 50 pieces. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought it was super fascinating because this is an incentive to sell. You know, it's actually creating, I mean, it's incentive to buy, but it's also rewarding the seller who sells. Uh, so I, I, I was like, that is pretty unprecedented and super interesting, but cool stuff. Yeah. Uh, in other news, but related, um, that's really exciting, actually, and in, in, in terms of like a bull signal, with Disney and, and Dapper getting together yeah. to create a marketplace to actually sell Disney collectibles uh, on the blockchain. This is big news. It's big news. I'll also say, just for folks that don't remember, the thing that originally catalyzed that first NFT bull market was was Dapper Labs and the Flow blockchain and this product called NBA Top Shot. Yes. And at the time, uh, and it still exists, uh, the idea was that they could replicate the contemporary card market for uh, the, using the NBA IP uh, through like limited edition scarce collectibles that lived on the Flow blockchain in a closed experience uh, with like an embedded wallet architecture um, and allow people to kind of like buy, trade, own, and speculate on collectibles through like these cards. Now uh, they built a really great experience. I think what what um, what was very clear was that the experience that they had built made some design decisions that felt less like using Web3 and more like a centralized product, but it was actually conducive to getting hundreds of thousands, millions of people into their ecosystem. And I think that's probably what's attractive to Disney. I mean, I don't have to tell you guys, Disney is just a I mean, money printing machine. IP powerhouse. IP Star Wars powerhouse. And so- They, uh, they said Star Wars is coming to I, this, it, which is like, Forget, I don't want to click. Well, I know people like to click Mickey Mouse shit, but like, I want to get some of those Star Wars characters. Like, the, totally. that would be amazing. Totally. So I think, I think a lot of folks have been around, especially in the bear, and are tinkering at the edges of smart contracts and Web3 and NFTs are seeing this and saying, like, this isn't for me. I think would be instructed to just spend some time thinking about what's going on here because this is what, you know, like mainstream products may end up looking like, right? So, things that look like a Disney dapper partnership for digital collectibles for the IP universe of Disney. The, the big question I have is, I mean, so the bet that they're, what's happening here is they're creating pins that are digital collectibles. And we've seen a lot of great IP create NFTs. And all, yeah, I think like Lord of the Rings did something like, did, did, yeah, I don't know if Game of Thrones, like I feel like a lot of great IP has tried to create digital collectibles and it was like a 48 hour attention cycle at the most. And then it just faded from, and it, so it, 
when attention cycles are that short, it just ultimately doesn't become collectible. Like, yeah. it, you know, and, and that's, uh, so I'm curious, what do you think makes something successful in maintaining its collectability? Cause that mm. is required for yeah. this to do well. So yeah. I have two thoughts. The first is I poked around a little bit and it looks like some people have actually started to dig into some of the minting and contract work that's happening on top of flow to kind of answer this question. And I wrote down some of the, the findings. I mean, they're constructing it very much like NBA Top Shot was packaged. There's Genesis editions, there's unique editions, there's limited editions, there's open editions, there's starter editions. Things of rarity are affected by colors and effects and materials and size and thickness and access rights. The IP spans multiple properties. And so um, the first thing I'll say is like uh, the point that Kevin brought up, which is just like great IP just finds a way to become collectible. Structuring it through the lens of what has made Top Shot and other collectibles experiments successful is like step two. Uh, and then step three is just like an experience that's super uh, understood and seamless and easy. And the UX is like sound. I, you know, every time I go to Disneyland or Disney World, it's like the attention to detail is so good. Like you will not find anything out of place or out of sorts that won't get corrected within minutes. Uh, and if they take that same viewpoint to something like a digital asset ecosystem, it could be quite powerful. Yeah, for me, um, gosh, there's so much you could do here. I think the question is like, how do you narrow this down to something that the consumers can grok, make sense, and like long term still remains collectible? Like yeah. the idea of pins to me is a really interesting kind of way to kick this off because if you can imagine back to this physical fall, a physical being tied with totally. this where you actually get it, you can rock it, you can say, hey, I own one of these and this is the proof that I own one while having it on my jacket and wearing it around. You know, we know things like Mickey Mouse watches have been going on for decades now that are insanely collectible. I went to my first Disney wedding this year. Like a couple got married at Disneyland, had the whole... Yeah, it's weird. Like, <laughs> it was actually a ton of fun. Uh, and I, I mean, like, dude, this IP globally, yeah. I think, I just don't think people recognize how big this is. Well, the other thing too is like, when I think about the, the Star Wars characters, like I, I, whenever I go into like a collectible shop and you see the OG characters in their boxes remember the ones that they're still sealed you know and they're going for thousands of dollars like as they introduce new characters or revisit those really special moments like when han fi fi fires first you know totally. and you make it a little limited collectible where you can have that on your wall playing in loop is a very special moment in that kind of lineage and history of the series like that is a that's amazing that's 100 percent. and i think like as an engine for future experiences right like we know just the physical fall is one manifestation of this. But when you own the digital and you prove that you own the digital, you can start serving new types of experiences to people, mm -hmm. right? Are those experiences in the park? Are those experiences through, you know, entertainment that can be streamed to you? Is that experiences that, you know, are physical manifestations of the thing itself? Is it toys? Is it gear? Is it apparel? I mean, like it's, we're talking about Disney here. Yeah. I mean, it's a great point. Like you can imagine there is a world where these are chipped, the physicals that you receive, and you go into the park, and like all of a sudden you have Served access to something. Experience. Exactly. Yeah. It's 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 coming. It's coming. It's very exciting. The other thing I think is is this concept of like packs. Like they're still finding ways to pack in like the good old dopamine hit into 
the, into this collectability. And we've even seen that in some like those nifty gateway drops. Like uh, I think it was, I think it died with most likes when he did a drop, you actually got a pack and you got mm. one of the, one of the meat cards, uh, you know, <laughs> Gabe I Weiss, love die. he's awesome. When Gabe Weiss did his drop on nifty gateway, they had different rarities, like for the yeah. snow fro thing versus the other, you know, uh, versus the other FUD totally. card that he had. I think like that concept of finding ways to make it fun. And it's not just, here's one. It's like, you know, I know that, these guys have been talking about getting packs and I think playing with rarity. Uh, it's uh, in some ways it's a little bit casino like, but in some ways I think that's something there's a reason those are successful businesses yeah. and people like that in the one, collecting experience. One question about packs. And I don't know if you guys know the answer to this because I wasn't that big into top shot. Could you keep a pack unopened? You could. Oh, you could. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So there's, you still know that there might be something rare 100%. in there. Yeah. That's so yeah. cool. Okay. And you see this in like traditional pack collecting. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. Unboxings yes. and all sorts of things. Well, that's how that crazy card was found not too long ago. Yeah. That $1 million card that was, was that a Pokemon card that was sold? Uh, yeah, I, I can't I remember so. it was unopened. Like, yeah. It, I got from an unopened pack. I feel like I got, I feel like to be in the collectible world, I need to know more about Pokemon. Same. Yeah, Let, let's do that Pokemon a, school together. For sure. Yeah, we need to get schooled up on that. My biggest sale ever, my best NFT sale ever was I, I had a board ape where I didn't claim the other deed and it listed it. Mm. And I, and like some Discord group just bought it because they wanted to like collectively go in and smash it together and see what, see what they flipped for that other deed. And oh, yeah, amazing. there was definitely premiums there. Sorry. All good. All right. Amanda, uh, any, any comments from the community? Is anyone, bullish they seem excited on this or no i mean i think are you when it whenever whenever you see some big company jump into nfts of course you're always excited i signed up of course with like three of my emails like why not right like just three to see what emails. happens three of my emails <laughs> i bought it um <laughs> and uh and I, i'm excited i think it's gonna be uh interesting to see i mean shout out to flow for and and dapper labs for continuing to crush these like very iconic uh partnerships so i'm looking forward to seeing you know what we can do i am I'm, I'm here for the culture and for uh what the things and the people here in web3 are building but you know what i'll take it i'll take the exposure why not totally yeah i think it just gets back to like this technology is a gravity well for so much stuff yeah. and like you might not be interested in it but like it's still important mm -hmm. exactly all right, uh, Amanda, let's chat about uh, Liquid uh, Delegation Marketplace. I feel like Derek would be so much better at this. Yeah. Um, but oh. I was actually just in the middle of having a conversation with somebody in our proof Discord about whether or not we'll be able to use that. And I feel like, why not? Like, I, if, if it's possible, I think we should unlock that uh, access for, for folks for well, this Liquid explain, Delegate. For those that are, that yeah, are new to this. I, I have a tweet up. I sent it out this morning that we can pull up real quick. I have CT's um, manning the rig back there. Uh, but the idea is uh, Liquid Delegate is essentially a marketplace for property rights associated with your digital objects. And so, I, the, you know, first week of law school, uh, so this is like 15 years ago for me, the thing that you learn is that like your, your ownership over an object has specific rights associated with it. You have the right to sell it. You have the right to not sell it. You have the right to let other people see it. You have the right to lend it out. When I talk about this technology, when I talk about like uh, trust minimized ledgers and digital objects, well, bingo, 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 minimized ledger guy. No, but the, the way I explain it is once you can prove scarcity for a digital object, you can start building property rights on top of it. For the first time, that's never been possible before. We've had it in the physical world, never had it in the digital world. Products like this, which allow you to start parsing out those rights associated with the digital object, having the market price them, having the market buy them, bid them, use them in different ways, extinguish them, consume them. This is what I mean when we actually have digital property rights for the first time. And so 
uh, I'm like a huge fan of efforts like this that push the space forward to more granularly associating rights with the stuff that we own. So just to get into like the real nitty gritty of what this is for people that don't know, correct me if I'm wrong here. What you're yeah. saying is that you go out and you buy an NFT, yes. let's call it Proof Collective Pass yes. or any of these passes that have something extra associated with them. Maybe it's the right to attend an event. Yes. Maybe it's an ape with the right to attend Ape Fest yes. or any of these things. And you're saying, ah, you know what? I'm not going to go to that thing. I'm not going to do that thing. I still want to own the asset. You got it. But I want to give the rights to the benefits that might be physical, might be redemption-based, might to someone else. It could be a gaming right. It could be an airdrop. It could be a live event. It could be a t-shirt. It could be a sweater. The point is you, Kevin, still want exposure to the underlying. I want to hold it. You're a Proof Collective member. Right. You want access to the Discord. You want... You know, right. to be able to buy and bid uh, the art that Eli's curating and so but on and so forth. But this one thing might not but be for me. But this one thing might not be for you. Now, what if you could disaggregate that one thing and allow the market to price it and consume it, right? That is what this registry is And that unlocks doing. an additional value for the holder because they're like, hey, I wasn't going to use this anyway, but now I may pick up a quarter of an ETH for this one thing. That's that exactly is, right. Uh, it's yeah. really scary. It reminds me, it's it, it, it kind of a peak bull market story, but a friend of mine named Sen underscore ETH, very, uh, just a good friend of mine in the space. And I went to Ape Fest and he didn't have an ape. And he bought an ape, he bought a mutant ape in front of the guy, you know, so he could get in. And it was kind of this legendary story that got retweeted multiple times. But like, think about how dumb that is. You want to go to an event, so you're buying a $27,000 asset at the time and totally. taking that, I mean, just completely ridiculous. But then there's also this, I think, very justified frustration of people who live overseas or who aren't local to a community and are saying, I'm not even getting the benefits of being part of this community and here at least now they can dis disaggregate that from you got being it. the community and it, it, so it feels like it's kind of like a win-win all around it's an evolution into what is a, uh, it's kind of already happening but is inefficient mm -hmm. right so this is basically just programmatically making these behaviors much more efficient trustless on-chain uh and also allowing the market to price these things we know when you put an object on-chain in a global marketplace that runs 24 7 it's run the bingo card app that like market discovery can happen around that object. This yeah. is doing the exact same thing. Yeah, no, it's awesome. I, I was thinking like maybe people would do this if they want to be part of the collective, but want to sell off a grail, their, their access to grails. But then I was thinking maybe you'd just mint the grail and sell it then. I, maybe yeah. it's, it's a less, it's a less, uh, a, it's not the best example, but, it, but yeah. I wonder if this ever, idea. like in the future, this ever makes it all the way to display rights. Meaning like, okay, you're in your home, let's picture a decade out. I've got seven digital displays. I'm having a party. Mm. I want to go and show a bunch of crazy X copies that I don't own. Can I go out to holders, put a 24 hour bid on display rights, and then have those show up as authentic NFTs in my house? Like you could do, you could right click and save it, or you could actually have the object. Where you're going with this is something that I've thought about for years. I'm actually, I've been drafting a paper about oh, this shit. called object-based licensing. And to me, this is actually where we're going. It's like this legal layer where we're trying to license these things. And like, it's not totally apparent to like, you know, these arrangements that people are in for commercial economic activity when they license things to one another. We're going to a completely different place with where we have like these digital ledgers where everything is trustless and right. that ability to provably license something right. from somebody on chain without having a legal layer associated yeah. to me 
It's so obvious. It's, well, it's also kind of a, it's it's. I know that you can right click save. It's not lost. But on. that's not. But there's but, something that's not the same. Right. About actually well, licensing especially it from if the, somebody. the display shows because yes. Danvis does this where if you own the NFT, it has a different color of the D underneath it. So You're blowing you up my future articles right now, but I have okay. a whole thing I'm <laughs> writing about this. So you can imagine like there's this great shot that I love, which is Jordan um, shooting with a cigar in his mouth. Do you know that shot? I, I don't know the He's shot. got like a yeah, cigar yeah. in his mouth and he's like shooting the ball. And yeah. it's so iconic. And if that was an NFT and I'm like, I'm going to have a like epic party, I license it directly from Jordan for that day because everyone else is trying to license it all throughout the year. Totally. Like that's just like such a cool flex. A hundred percent. This is why when I first met Fubar a year and a half ago, I got so excited because this type of technology, when you start granularly associating these subdivision of rights associated with an object, we're hurtling very quickly towards this world. Yeah. And it cuts out so much inefficiency and fat from the legal layer system and does it in a programmatic way on chain. So I very much view a world where that's going to happen. Cool. Where do you think this pragmatically starts? Like once the marketplace launches, what do you think are the first types of things we start seeing being traded there? I think it's going to be things like airdrop rights. So like, you know, an airdrop is coming and uh, you've got, you know, the right to claim it in a week and you sell that right. Or it could be like a t-shirt or a live event. I think it's going to be like more fun, kind of like low value things to start. Yeah. I do think that as people start becoming aware of this design space, we're going to see much richer, much more complicated expressions mm. of like granularly assigning these rights to people. And, and from a tech I, perspective, is it, um, so like, let's say proof wanted to allow collective holders ahead of grails to sell the right to a grail or something yeah. like that. Would that be on the proof engineering team to work with FUBAR's team or, uh, it, so does this require both participants, the buyers I, and sellers? I think it will be to the, it depends on the experience. So like, uh, obviously chat with FUBAR and like, there will be experiences where people can do stuff out of the box. And then there will be much more complex, richer experiences, which may require like some engineering associated with it just to configure the drop in the correct way um, to get like, you know, more benefits out of this. Uh, the last thing I'll say is uh, what's cool about it is like, as this thing gets priced in the market and bought and resold, like this access right or whatever it may be, fees can actually go back to the project. So like mm. he's built this in so that there's upside for projects to build on top of this registry. Ah, brilliant. It's really clever. Because why would the, the he'd be like, ah, like as, as someone that airdrops, you know, grails passes to a bunch of people, I'm like, ah, why would I take the time? But if like- Fees are going back right, to that, proof then in this example, 100%. Yeah. So this is very much a public good for the space hmm. and a product that I'm very excited about. And it's a really an engineering feat that- Fubar and his team were able to build something like this. Yeah, I love this idea. I think it will probably, I mean, if it goes well and if it takes off, I think it will probably affect the way that NFTs uh, and, you know, utility or access or whatever is is done. You know, I think I've been sort of pushing for claimable uh access to things and not necessarily just airdrops just because you want to be able to really engage with the people who are there right yes and so if now maybe in the future more and more uh you know teams avoid the airdrops because they know that there is you know a, a way for you to kind of parse that out i think that that might kind of change things too and uh and really sort of change what it means to own an asset um and what kind of value you can value yeah. you can get from that right like this here's an actual opportunity to bring value back to the holder is my least favorite phrase in the world. <laughs> when that's utility, <laughs> baby. <laughs> I love it. All right. Uh, so any, Amanda, any questions on top of that uh, from the community or? Um, no, I think people are super excited about it, but no, not, no, not too many uh, questions. I think, again, people are just asking about 
proof, right? Uh, and about all the different sort of ways that we can kind of play with that. So we'll we'll get back into that later for sure. Internally. All right. Let's check in with Eli and see how he's doing. Eli, are you all set up for the upcoming coming interview? I am set up. Yeah, all right. let, let's do this. Um, so do we have Annika on? Let's see. I'm here. Hey, Annika, welcome. Good to see you. Yeah, great to see you. So um, before we, we jump in and, and talk all things sort of expanded art, but really go deep on Herbert Franke's background and this project Centrum, we just minted Token Zero from the project, uh, which is quite exciting. And so I, I think CT is pulling up the, there it is there, uh, continuously animated. This is a beautiful uh, first output. It was minted, I think, five, 10 minutes ago, perhaps. Yeah. Um, very cool. This is one of the, the more rare grayscale outputs. I think there's only 10% that are grayscale uh, of this sort. So very cool. Token zero to see it minted. Looks amazing. Okay, so Annika, let's let's dig in. I, I want to talk a little bit about you and your background and then track forward and definitely talk about this project and, and, and Herbert. But I actually do not know that much about your background. Annika, for both myself uh, and those listening, uh, where did you come from in terms of your, your work now as one of the top curators of early computer and generative art? Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, the interesting part, and I guess for a lot of people surprising, is that I never actually wanted to be a curator. I always wanted to be a writer. We started, when I studied the history of art and German literature at the University of Heidelberg, we started a student magazine. And from there it took off. Then I got interested in Instagram and through the blog and me writing for Germany's biggest art magazine, a column on um, yeah, social media and art and digital art from 2014 on. At some point people mm. asked me to curate shows and that's how I ended up being a curator and a writer, which is wonderful. I really enjoy it, but I would have never been like, okay, let's go into a museum uh, and curate exhibitions. But that's, I guess, what I like about the NFT space. Um, it's fast. Mm. Uh, a lot of things happen. We learn new things every day. We meet new people every day. There's new artists to discover, pioneers to work with. Uh, yeah, that's what I appreciate about Web3. Yeah, I, I love it. And as I said, you've had such an important role in uh, both contemporary artists, of course, but also some of the pioneers, as I've mentioned. Why has that been a lightning rod of your focus to go back and look at some of the early computer generative art pioneers and help them express their work through this medium? It all started, I think it was in, yeah, it was in March 2022, when a very good friend of mine, museum director Alfred Weidinger, said to me, well, let's go and visit uh, Herbert W. Franke together uh, and his wife mm. uh, at their home. And I was like, yeah, I'd be excited uh, to meet him finally in person. And um, it all started from there. And uh, yeah, they were preparing his solo show uh, that took place on the occasion of his 95th birthday at the Francisco Carolinum in Linz, um, a museum that's focused on the history of digital art and gives a lot of the artists from the NFT space their first solo show. That's very mm. wonderful and beautiful. Yeah, and it went accidentally well. Uh, we didn't expect that, and it was also, it was also not planned. Because when I went there, I had tweeted on Instagram before, and I had asked, and 
people were super excited. Half of them knew her, but half of them didn't. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I asked whether he knew that he's sort of a legend for the generation working today. And he, Herbert was really surprised to hear that. And um, so, yeah, then I uh, recommended to Herbert and his wife, Susanne Pech, uh, join Twitter, uh, see it yourself. <laughs> that went very well. He, they had 10,000 followers after 48 hours. And I said, well, don't worry, not that much is going to happen. If you have 1,000 followers after like four a month or so, it, it's not going to be that much work. And so I stayed mm -hmm. with them because I guess I was a bit embarrassed because they were really busy. Herbert was 95. It was a lot for the two of them to work on the solo show. And yeah, mm -hmm. so from that moment on, um, more pioneers came to me. Uh, and uh, yeah, I continued working with a lot of the pioneers. Also now at expanded.art. Um, yeah, that's very beautiful because yeah. most of them, I guess that's also what made them work on the things so many artists are now inspired by, right? They were always mm -hmm. excited and about new technologies. They wanted to experiment like Habat. Um, and that's why yeah. they're doing it today, still today, right? Otherwise, we probably wouldn't see the work we're seeing today. Yeah, it, that, that point there, Annika, I think is it, so poignant. We worked together, you and I, uh, with Hans, Hans Dellinger, uh, for Grails 4. And in his video, he expressed that exactly, that he was uh, almost overjoyed with the opportunity to explore this new medium, exactly in the way you're describing. These pioneers are pioneers because they love to explore new technologies and have curious minds. So that's certainly a through line across many of those early artists. For those who are a little bit less familiar with Herbert, um, provide a little, if you can, Annika, grounding in terms of his background um, and maybe some of that historical context. Uh, yeah, so he started, let's say, oh, sorry, there's an ambulance uh, going by. <laughs> <laughs> we're one of on the main. We're, on, we're one of the main shopping streets in Berlin, so that happens uh, <laughs> quite often. No, so Herbert, sure. um, physicist, and he started in the caves actually in the fifties. He explored caves, and there he started taking photographs. And so, in the dark, he took photographs and started working with light. And through that, he got interested. Um, in working with technology, creating art with technology. And in 1957, um, he, I can't see it on the website, he published a book titled Art and Construction. And after meeting him, I read it again. Yeah, there's images of him in the caves. And I read it again mm -hmm. last year. And it's, it's like it could have been written in the year 2022 or 2021 or even in the year 2023 because what he was trying to prove that one can actually create art using technology. And he was fighting for that uh, art cre being created with technology gets accepted. And mm. um, so that what, that's what he was interested in for like 60 years. He was early in the metaverse. Um, they had rented a space and yeah, set up a, a gallery and he was exhibiting work. He, he, he not only was a, was an artist, he was a curator himself, he was a writer. Um, yeah, he wore many hats and I guess all of us looking at his work feel, even though we're active in the NFT space 24 seven, I guess we feel un unproductive. <laughs> <Next to his laughs> album. 
so many science fiction novels i guess that would be enough uh, for other people's lifetime to do but yeah 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 it was quite fascinating Annika. we we spoke yesterday uh with a great group of, of people on twitter spaces including michael spalter and and he's uh he and Anne have been one of the largest collectors of herbert's work for a long period of time now and just hearing michael describe the significance that herbert has both to today's generative and computer art artists, but also the way in which he believes, which I think you and I would agree, that Herbert's significance over a long time horizon into the future will only expand as what's happening right now. This movement uh, really concretizes itself as a fundamental part of art history. So it's quite a special moment that you had, of course, to actually interact a lot with Herbert and of course with Suzanne, and now to present some new work that is based on some very old code. Talk about this project, Annika Zentrum, and the, the fact that it's 1982 code. Uh, Herbert had just received this Apple II computer. And then, you know, maybe a little bit how we're translating that into something that can live as an NFT now. Yeah, it was a turning point in Herbert's work and also, um, yeah, perspective and view on art. He got an Apple II in the early 80s. And I mean, I sit in front of a laptop, right? We're used to having a laptop with us, but he wasn't. So he always needed to find people to give him access to computers. And suddenly he had an Apple II at home. He could start learning to code and he started to code. And um, Centrum is one of the first pieces he had done. And this piece is actually proof or testimony that he, wo he was a visionary. So for him, I mean, what we know from the history of, let's say, abstract art, work from Kandinsky to Mondrian. We have static images, right? Paintings. That's also what I explain to people who come to expanded art to the gallery, who are not familiar what uh, what it means that artists create work, create work with code. I tell them, well, mm. see, here's a static image like behind me. It's, by the way, work from Anne Spolter. We're currently showing a solo show by her. Mm. It's, it's static. But at the same time, opposite of me, there's a, there's a screen hanging with this work dynamic and animated and that's a potential that Herbert like recognized when he got the apple II. he saw the chance for the history of art and that being the next chapter that images can run in real time that they can be dynamic and uh, yeah that's what centrum is a is a wonderful example uh, of and yeah we've as you've said we've just minted uh mint zero and ten percent yeah. The outputs are black and white because that's actually uh, how Susanne and Herbert had had started. Uh, so yes, mm -hmm. it's it's beautiful. This uh, code and uh, this drop now starts exactly how they started in the eighties. Yeah, I love it. And um, there's just a couple last things, Annika. I wanted to, to double click into. Of course, this this collection is being released in partnership with Artblocks Engine on chain. Very very special. 200 pieces in a public Dutch auction on November 21st. Um, but it's important to, to mention the foundation and, and Herbert Franke's uh, work with, the, with his own foundation and Suzanne now being the steward of that foundation. Talk about how the foundation is fundamental to everything that's happening with this collection. You've already mentioned the quantum drop. Uh, it was in June on the occasion of Herbert's 95th mm. birthday. That, that's a wish he had to have an NFT drop. And the proceeds from that sale were used to set up the foundation. 
um, Susanna Wife, uh, Susanna Pech uh, is his wife and he's the managing director of the foundation Herbert W. Franke. And uh, all the proceeds from sale we at Expanded um, represent the estate of Herbert W. Franke. So Susanna and I, whenever we do a show, when we do a drop, when we work on things together, we discuss, well, what what is the wish that she now could fulfill um, or realize with uh, money coming in from sales. So she's working on a lot of book publication. A lot of his writing has never been published in English. Um, the proceeds from this sale will mainly go into organizing and hosting a um, conference. Let, yeah, let's call it a conference on the history of generative mm -hmm. art uh, next year in May 2024 in Berlin. Um, in a sort of traditional art world background, because it's important for us that we also reach people who come from a traditional background, as I've just mentioned, you know, uh, maybe yeah. abstract art, they understand the potential and learn more about the potential um, of digital art and see that it had already started in the 80s, what we're seeing today. Yeah, thanks so much for providing that content, Annika. Um, it's really, I think I mentioned this at the top of the show, it's really in honor for myself and for proof to help bring this work to life uh, with yourself, Expanded Art, with Suzanne, with the Foundation, with Aaron Penne and Art Blocks. It's really been a collaborative effort and uh, just incredibly excited to see. It was, it was super fun just before we hopped on to see Token Zero uh, and, and to see it live there. And can't wait for next Tuesday. I think that opens at 8 a.m. Pacific. Annika, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to do a spaces together, I think, on Monday and talk more about about the project. Uh, but such an honor to have you on. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Eli and Annika. Thank you so much. I, I mean, I have to say that yeah, the the proof team is, is so good at finding artists who just have such relevance in the history of this movement. Mm -hmm. And I think and it's not just proof. I feel like the whole industry right now, uh, we saw it with the Vera Molnar drop, which continues to perform incredibly well. There's just so much interest right now in his, in some of these legendary kind of early pioneers of the space. And this is uh, right in line with that. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, I, know, I know you guys are wondering, where's Kevin and where's, where's Derek? Well, this is uh, Musical Chairs. They had, to, they had to step out. And so we own the show now. This is our show now. We're the bosses now. We're the bosses the, now. This is us. The, I hope you guys are ready. The inmates are running the asylum. Let's go. <laughs> exactly. And it's a pretty calm asylum. But, I, I, you know, we got some of uh, Derek and Kevin, two of the absolute best collectors yes. in, in, that are out there. But they're busy. Yes. You know, and every now and then they got to get out of here. So, uh, but anyways, let's not belabor that. It, uh, Derek, Kevin, if you're out there listening, thank you guys for, for an awesome show. Amanda, as always, running the, running the community channel and contributing, doing such a good job. And, and Eli and Annika, thank you so much for uh, your contributions. That was a, a really fun show. And uh, we'll be back on Spaces many times next week and yes. right here next week. Yes. See you guys all. Thank you so much.